This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Patrick, it's been a minute since then. Some exciting and cool things have happened at Our Sunday Visitor. Word is you launched a new website. Would you tell us about it? For those listening, I just tabbed. Um, you know, I am. I'm very excited about it because it's a lot easier, as everyone knows, to start something new than it is to change something that already exists. So a lot of work went in it, uh, went into it. A lot of a lot of internal work. A lot of um, a lot of great uh, great things within the company. And I think it just is. It's very important because it's a sign of where we're going. It's a moment of innovation and of, of reimagining who we are and what we're about. So. I'm extremely excited. I've learned a lot about SEO, so mm. very, very, very proud of that, and a lot about other aspects of web design and corporate structure that I thought I would never know or use as a priest. So here we are expanding our marketable skill sets. So maybe That's when awesome. I'm in jail for the gospel, I can use those things to continue to communicate. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm, no, but I'm, but I really am really pleased with it, and uh, we've got a great design. And I hope that it, um, I hope that it provides a, a, a much more user-friendly experience for everyone that checks it out. So, so go on over to OurSundayVisitor.com and take a look. Cheers. For those of you listening at home who haven't heard the acronym SEO, it stands for Search Engine Optimization. The idea is that you put things on the internet, but it takes additional work to get other people to see those things on the internet because we need to be innocent as doves and crafty as serpents. And sometimes that means putting things in such a way that they are picked up by algorithms. Who knows what algorithms are? I sure don't. Father Patrick knows more at this point, but it's just the way of the world. So uh, this is this is the public space. This is the agora of the 21st century, and here we find ourselves in the midst of it. Pray that we not be overwhelmed or too deeply saddened. That is my typical temptation. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> uh, so in this, our seventh and final special episode about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the fear of the Lord. But obviously, fear is something that all of us experience in a pretty intense uh, or intimate way. What are what are some like uh, some things that you're afraid of that you are also comfortable sharing on an episode that will be listened by listened to by people whom you don't know? Well, I can remember one moment where I was where I was really afraid and persevered through it. So this is kind of a funny story. Um, it was my first year of Boy Scout camp, yes. so I was in. It was the summer after fifth grade, I think, right? If I, my first summer as a Boy Scout, so just crossed over from We Below's, the Cub Scouting program. And I was working on the swimming merit badge. And I've been a pretty strong swimmer my whole life. But in those days, I was a very small, I was a very small kid. Like I was always short for my age, took my time growing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, for that reason, some of the things you have to do to earn the swimming merit badge were very difficult for me. Um, one of the things you have to do, or at least had to do in those days when it mattered, uh, you had to take off your pants and turn them into a um, turn them into a life jacket. So basically, while you're swimming, while you're swimming, you take off your jeans and you inflate them by throwing them over your head and tying them and catching them underwater. And then you can tie the you can tie the legs of your pants around your neck and make a impromptu life preserver. And provided you keep the jeans wet they'll they'll contain air it's a pretty cool survival skill um but anyway the first time i was doing it i nearly drowned myself like it was so it was so exhausting and i didn't get it to work correctly 
and I and I didn't earn the merit badge right away. I had to go back and try it again. But my father was extremely proud because um, I insisted on going back that day because, by goodness, I was going to get the swimming merit badge that day. But That's that awesome. was a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah. And that prepared us for the novitiate, during which time our novice master made constant reference to merit badges because anytime we looked at him asking for a sign of even mild approval, he just mocked us because somehow that is what is meant by formation. Um, as a going away gift, he gave each of us something either from his shelf or specially purchased for the event. So he gave, you know, some of the men Dominican right things in preparation, you know, for priestly studies. He gave me the Girl Scouts of America handbook with all of the specifications for merit badges to be earned. So I still, I still retain that in my heart, not in my actual possession because I get rid of everything. So noted. Uh, but yeah, that's, there you go. Father James Sullivan, the man, um, in my own in my own example, uh, well, there are many that I could cite insofar as I put myself in fearful situations on the reg because of general recklessness. Um, I'd like to think that I'm just doing experiments for my next book on the virtue of prudence. Um, but uh, but I often <laughs> I find myself in like compromised situations in the mountains, the most recent of which was just a few days ago. Uh, so I went to the top of this thing and then I started descending on the other side. And uh, I came to a spot at which I knew I, I just couldn't go any further, but I didn't want to retrace my steps because it was going to be grueling, punishing, and a transport just nightmare. So I started descending a valley, and I didn't know if that valley was going to end in a cliff or if it was going to end in, you know, some aus auspicious descent towards uh, the floor below. And so I, I was afraid, um, the kind of like you tremble without realizing it kind of afraid. And so I was saying one of my favorite prayers, which it's very complicated. So let's see if we can all... Uh, Keep up. It goes like this. Jesus, mom. Jesus, mom. <laughs> Gregory Pine, doctor of the church. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of things out there that are, that are fear-inducing or fearful. But the question is, why do they cause us fear? What is it that we fear losing or what is it that we fear incurring? So maybe take us through some of the, the psychology or the phenomenology of fear. What's at stake? Right. So I think one of the first things that we encounter when, when, when the emotion of fear overwhelms us, right, is that we've, we've hit an obstacle and we don't see a way immediately to overcome it. So we desire a good and there's something standing between us and that good. And the way to conquer the thing betwixt us and that good is not clear. So in the example of nearly drowning myself at Boy Scout summer camp, uh, you know, the, good, the, the, the perceived and desired good was the swimming merit badge. Uh, mm. But the exhaustion and pant-throwing improvised life preserver <laughs> stood mm. between me, me and that desired good. Or, you know, in, your, in many of your examples, right, the goal is mountain climbing in order to bag another peak. Uh, but the obstacle between that goal and you is often avalanches. Yeah. How's that? That's good. No, that's, I like that. Yeah. So when we talk about fear, we're talking about the good that lies in store, the thing that stands in between as you describe it. And that thing seems to threaten us. The most basic, I suppose, of fears would be the fear of loss of life because it's the most terrible of punishments, says Aristotle in the Nicomachean Ethics, because it just brings all punishments to bear. 
Uh, but, but we also fear other things that have a kind of analogy with or kind of a relationship to death. They might mean like death of wealth or death of fame or death of glory or death of pleasure or death of, you know, meaningful social connection, whatever it is. So there, there, when we perceive the prospect of loss, you know, uh, that, then that causes us some kind of fear for if it were to go in that way, we just don't know how we would proceed or how we could continue um, and live our lives as we've come to experience them or as we have come to appreciate them at present. So then what, what, what's so good about that? It sounds like a wholly bad experience. And yet in the sacred scriptures, we talk about fear, for instance, as the beginning of wisdom. Um, so what's, what's like, I know that in the philosophical tradition, we talk a little bit about like wonder and awe or kind of wonder, which informs our pursuits of like wisdom, like we mentioned, but also of more meaningful human discourse. So like, what's, what is it about fear? Maybe the destabilizing or the kind of fragilizing aspect of fear, which sets us off in a direction that's more sublime. I think part of the thing, part of the thing that we encounter when we encounter fear is a, is a call to be changed or a call to do something we think, which is beyond us. Right. Um, and that, that's why we're overwhelmed by it because we're being stretched often when we're, when we're afraid of something. It's so interesting to me, Father Joseph Anthony loves to point this out. Often when angels who are bearing the will of God in the scriptures are proclaiming their messages, the first thing they say is do not be afraid, right? Uh, which means heads up, the Lord is about to do something in your life. So mm -hmm. put on the seatbelt and buckle up. <laughs> so do not be afraid. And, and we, we also know in, in, recent, in recent times, right? This is one of the mantras of John Paul II constantly assuring us that to undertake a life animated by life of the gospel was not cause for fear, right? So John Paul II was always telling young people, especially, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, herein lies the way to happiness. Herein lies the way to growth. Herein lies the way of holiness. Herein lies the way of change. So this assurance, do not be afraid, um, is an instruction, right? So it's a, it's a mentality that we're trying to put on, but it's also an assurance that what we're facing will not overcome us, will not overcome us. And it, in fact, when we persevere through it, we will come on the other side, uh, having been changed by everything we've encountered, having been changed by everything we've experienced. So again, I think it's very important that the, the maxim from the scriptures and from saints like John Paul II, not to be afraid, indicates that whatever we're perceiving is going to change us, and it may very well hurt going through it. Uh, but ultimately, the things that we're going to experience in the spiritual life are for our good. Now, to your point directly, one of the powerful things about fear is that it's the kind of thing that draws you outside of yourself. Um, fear, in, fear in this way, fear in this way um, takes us beyond uh, what we think our own limits are, what we, what, we, uh, what we ourselves are capable of by our own, by our own abilities. So I think this is, this is part of what animates the feeling of being overcome by fear because it just kind of draws us immediately by its nature beyond what we think we can ourselves encounter. And so that leads to that, that point is what leads to um, what, what you're beginning to, uh, to raise here, Father Gregory, wonder or awe, where you're, where you're kind of taken outside of yourself uh, and encountering something much beyond that which you can completely contextualize or grasp or understand. Okay, so when, when St. Thomas Aquinas describes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this a few times at this stage already, he will associate them with certain virtues. So you have this traditional alignment 
uh, with St. Augustine, between or among, I should say, uh, the virtues, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Beatitudes, and then the seven petitions of the Our Father. And in the case of the virtue pertinence to the gift of fear, he actually draws up two. So he says that it corresponds to hope in one way and it corresponds to temperance in another, but he really spends his time with the virtue of hope. And I think already from our descriptions, we can begin to appreciate why that is so. And when he describes fear, he lays out different kinds of fear, kind of like a, a spectrum of fear. So the first he says is worldly fear, where you fear losing a worldly possession because you can't imagine your life without it. That he says is no bueno. That's the technical Latin term, no bueno. Um, and then he moves on from there to what he calls servile fear. So based on the name, we already have an indication of what it means. It's like the fear of a servant in the household of the master. So we fear doing a certain thing because we might incur punishment. And then the, the kind of perfection of fear, the height of fear, he describes as filial fear. Again, there you have it. So the fear of a son in the household. Uh, and one doesn't fear so much the punishment to be incurred as the thought, the mere thought, or even the reality of selling that relationship or in some way betraying that love. So I think that um, the worldly fear gives us good analogies for then thinking about the other kinds of fear because they're often very, very close to our experience. So um, what are what are ways in which we can cultivate fear of the Lord by, by uh, how do I describe this? Uh, so as to, to, to heal from and grow beyond some of our worldly fears, how do we talk sense into our passions? How do we live a genuine life of hope? You have any, any thoughts or reflections? So blessed Jordan of Saxony, when he was addressing, he's saying Dominic's successor, of course, uh, all of our Godspinning listeners should be well, well formed in Dominican, <laughs> obscure Dominican history. So blessed Jordan of Saxony, the successor of St. Dominic, who founded the order of preachers, right? Blessed Jordan is addressing a general chapter and he's sort of sickly. I think if, if memory serves, it's towards the end of his life. And he encourages the brethren at the general chapter saying, you know, in these days when we've gathered for our meeting, the Holy Spirit is often uh, much discussed. But in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must be emptied of our own will and of our own emotions. And he gives them the brethren an analogy. This is in the lives of the brethren. He gives the brethren an analogy. He says, look, if you've got a jar and it's already full of water, any additional water you pour into it is just going to flow out over the jar. It's not going to be able to go into the vessel. So in order to be fit to receive the Holy Spirit well, again, you have to you have to empty yourself. You have to make room in the vessel. You have to remove what's in the vessel so that the Holy Spirit can be poured into it. And that means that 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 for Blessed Jordan means abandoning your own self-will and your own emotions, not repressing them, but surrendering them to God and allowing yourself to be free of them so that the Lord so the Lord can fill them. So with respect to worldly fear, for example, we have to be free of that which would bind us. We have to be okay losing things, whether that means goods um, or status. I think social status is a lot more difficult. Um, it, for most people, you want to be well thought of. You want to have a network of relationships that you can rely on. You don't want to say things that are controversial. Um, at least I think most people are that way. Dominicans usually tend to be not that way, but, but normal, normal people normals, let's call them muggles, if you will, um, <laughs> want, want to want to be this way. And they, they want to be well thought of and they want to have a secure social standing. So it's much easier. It's much easier not to witness to the gospel, for example, in certain contentious moments um, to go along to get along in order to retain that status. 
And so one of the thing, one of the things that the that the gift does, one of the things that being full of the Holy Spirit does, is it allows it allows one to, one to move beyond that, not just in a sense of courage, um, but for the sake of the Lord. So courage is about loss of life, right? About about one's one's own loss. But fear of the Lord allows us to think about that thing from the perspective of God and to recognize that in in God's mind, uh, in in God's understanding uh, of our goodness. He's got plenty of money. He doesn't need us to have money. God's got plenty of social standing. God is very popular, it turns out, especially around exam time amongst undergraduates. Um, <laughs> so God doesn't need our social standing. Um, so we can look at those things more uh, more from the perspective of God and ourselves be free of them. Um, and in fact, realize them for what they are and not be not be so changed to them. So I think beginning to think about this through through the kind of worldly lenses, as you say, the, the right place to start, because those are the things we experience most immediately. Yeah. And maybe just to go back to the examples that we gave at the top of the discussion, you think about somebody who's drowning. One of the first lessons you get in lifeguarding class is that the most uh, like perilous or dangerous obstacle to your life-saving efforts is the person whom you're trying to save. Because oftentimes when you approach the individual, uh, they're going to thrash and they're going to try to pull you under with them, not consciously, but because it's just sheer terror. So there's this sense when, when you're afraid, you kind of claw and grasp at whatever you can lay hold of. And often it just portrays an, an unreasonableness or an irrationality, which tends to your destruction, the destruction of those that you're, that you're with. So there's a sense in which, you know, you have to lose your life to save it. You kind of have to relax in order to be drawn on by the better goods, which line weight provided only that you're willing to set aside those lower goods, which seems so very necessary or which seems so very attractive at the moment. Um, and then thinking of my example of, of hiking, I often put myself in bad situations when there's a lot of snow, because as a mountain gets steep in the snow and you're on snowshoes, you tend to slip and snowshoes just don't do, they just don't go downhill. Well, they usually end up in broken bodies, but, but if you just chill and say, okay, I'm in a bad spot. All you have to do is go to your knees and your elbows and hold just something in front of you, basically like a, a hiking stick or something. And then you can just slide down until such time as you find yourself in a better spot. But, but if you say like, I've got to keep going, you can put yourself in a really terrible situation. So I think that there you have a kind of call. And this is what the, the gift of fear is helping us to do as a, to answer the call to a detachment, because when we are attached to lower goods, it, it really prevents us from creating the space as you described it with the preaching of blessed Jordan to receive those higher goods and to, you know, cultivate the good attachments, which will actually save us provided we let them okay so then let's bop from worldly fear to what saint thomas calls servile fear here we can think maybe a little bit about the sacrament of confession um you know it's like it's enough that you bring your servile fear it's enough that you bring your attrition or your imperfect contrition i think sometimes people hear this and they just assume it's bad so maybe we can do a little work mining the goodness that's at the heart of a kind of servile fear why is it good maybe to think about punishment or i don't know you have any thoughts apropos of that I have lots of thoughts about this. Catholic guilt <laughs> is an incredibly good thing. It's one of the best things that we have. Um, you know, Catholicism as a religion, right, is often handed on in the form of a culture. And this is one of the things we have going for us is that is that people broadly believe that Catholicism makes you feel guilty. Good. <laughs> it should. <laughs> I mean, guilty insofar as we have sinned and all of us deserve, deserve nothing but hell, strictly speaking, but God in his infinite mercy and love has allowed us to get a lot more than that. <laughs> in fact, to not be condemned to it. 
So I think that this is uh, I think that this is a really important place where we have a where we where we have a where we have a touch point where we have something that we understand in a common common sense. Um, so when we hear those those words Catholic guilt or when we recognize oh I myself feel guilty, um, this kind of shame can in fact be understood sometimes sometimes not all of it, but sometimes as a kind of servile fear. Uh, most directly, that fear should be most of the time that fear properly right should be directed about hell i don't want to go to hell so i confess my sins this is a, this is a good motive for the confession of sin it's not a perfect motive but it's good right as we as we often say uh, in technical language imperfect contrition suffices right you don't do, do you have to do you have to mean you're sorry with every fiber of your heart no but you have to say you're sorry like that's good enough we'll we'll get there <laughs> and you can keep working on it. The more times you say you're sorry, the more the more completely, um, hopefully you you will mean it. So this uh, this beginning to set out in the ways of the Lord means sometimes um, we avoid things just because we know that God's punishments are perfect, that they're just, and we don't want to incur them. And that is again, as the scriptures say, the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. Um you read 17th and 18th century devotional literature, and there is considerable meditation there on the possibility, the threat of hell. I'm thinking here of the introduction to the devout life um, and the first 10 meditations that St. Francis Sales gives in, in book one of five. And, but you can, you know, you can extrapolate from that. And, and I think that in the 20th and 21st century, we kind of pride ourselves on being better adjusted we pride ourselves on being like more psychologically balanced, but that doesn't mean that that punishment isn't possible. Now, like, what do we meditate upon when it comes to punishment? Like the fact that the evil one is prowling around seeking the ruin of souls. I mean, it's true, but I don't think that that's the object of our contemplation. But I think that to have a, a healthy appreciation of our own fragility and of our own changeability, right, of our weaknesses and like our woundedness is, I'm just making up words at this point, but um, to, to have a healthy appreciation of that is good because otherwise we might think that the Christian life is about just collecting graces and virtues from God and then just leaving or kind of setting out in a different direction. When truth be told, it's about dependence. So the point of cultivating this understanding is to depend upon God lest we betray him. Right. And so I think the word you were looking for there is woundiferousness. <laughs> um, that's it the the woundfulitude the, the the redemptress would do this when they preach their parish missions there are all these fabulous stories about the things they would do they would bring in an empty casket and they would put it there in the church and they would tell everyone at the mission to imagine that they were there in the casket you know to contemplate your death and to imagine where you would be at that moment of your death when you're when you're lying in the casket so it's just a very vibrant example of what you're talking about from the centuries before us yeah it is. And it's not wrong. Um, so while it might not be a pleasant thing to think about your physical or emotional or psychological, yeah, what destruction that attendant upon death. Uh, but I, I think it is good to meditate upon the fact that we have been given a grace or virtues in an earthen vessel and that vessel can shatter provided, you know, that, that we wander away from him. So we want to be strong in our consent and our cooperation. Part of one of the ways to do that is, is to cultivate the sense of fear. Okay. So then with that, we come to the height of fear, the perfection of fear, which we described as filial fear. St. Thomas also uses the word chaste fear. And then he says that the one progressing through servile fear to filial fear might pass through an intermediate stage, which he calls initial fear. So if you've heard any of that language 
it's all kind of getting to the same point. But the basic idea we have said to this point is that it's um, the fear of one who pertains to the household, the, free, the fear of a free person, the fear of one who genuinely loves. So, Father Patrick, do you have any insights uh, that, that come from that, that meditation? One of the things is we all know, well, maybe we don't all know it, so may, maybe everyone's not to this point, but the, the, the most, I, I found the most difficult thing a parent can say is, I'm not angry with you, I'm just disappointed. Right. This is this is a heavy line. This is a heavy line. And it means that you as a son or daughter have not pursued what is good for the reasons or ways in which your parents wanted you to. And it means that you have not it means that you have not hated something the way that they've hated something. Um, it means that you haven't resisted something the way that they wish that you would have. So part of part of what happens here when you're in this last stage of fear is that you have is that you have wanted to avoid things out of love for your parents, out of love for, in fact, our heavenly father. And that this is, and that this is the, this is the kind of conformity to the will and knowledge of God, which, which takes you up and allows you to, to see things again from God's perspective, but not with respect to, to the intellect. The, these are other gifts here, you know, so to add that point of clarification, but to, but to want to avoid offending God out of love for God. That's what we're talking about here when we hit when we hit this point of filial fear. To not want to disappoint your parents out of love for them. Yeah. And I think here, you know, we made reference to the act of contrition. There are different ways to say it. One of the ways that many people say is, my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee and I detest all my sins because of thy just punishments. So you start there with servile fear, but then you progress through servile fear to filial fear, but not only because of thy just punishments, but most of all, because they offend thee, my God, who art all good and deserving of all my love. So there, it's just a simple recognition of everything that you have from God and for God. And I think there, it's, it, it takes a certain maturity in Christian virtue. And I'm thinking especially of the virtue of humility, because the humble person recognizes that everything that he or she has is from God. 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you have not received? If therefore you have received it, why do you boast as if it were your own? So in light of that, you think of this great trust, uh, grace, virtue, gifts of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, beatitudes, etc., that God has lavished upon us with such generosity. And then we think about the way in which we, we do nothing with it. And so the point here isn't to pile on and say, like, I am, you know, fill in the appropriate crass description of ourselves, which likens us to rubbish heap. Um, okay, you know, whatever, that might be satisfying to just just lay the scorn on thick for a moment. But that, that's not the point. The point is to respond more generously to the God who continues to prove himself generous day in and day out. And how are we going to do that? Is it just going to be like raw appeal to our will or raw appeal to our emotion? I mean, there's some of that, and I'm not going to downplay the importance of it. But But I think more so it's about gaining further and further access to God himself, because when we look upon his face in heaven, ultimately, but here by way of faith, we see in, you know, I'm speaking somewhat metaphorically, but we see in his features, the, the, the genuine affection, the genuine love, which informs all of his interaction with us. And it's that that we want to respond to. It's like the moment when you realize that your parents actually love you and they're not just like promulgators of rules and inflictors of punishments. It's like sweet Christmas. They actually care that I do well. Um, so it's that, it's that that we're trying to gain access to. And effectively, that's what the gift of the fear of the Lord brings about in our lives. Um, all right, we're coming to the end. Father Patrick, you have some final thoughts, final encouragements? Final thoughts, final encouragements would be allow our servile fear to give way 
to the to the greater fear to filial fear. So that means again, not not pushing it down, not ignoring it, but knowing that believing through it will open up new horizons of love. Boom. New horizons of love indeed. I was on a live stream, live splaining with Father Bonaventure uh most recently. So that was like two days ago, I suppose. And he was making reference to uh, St. Jose Maria Escrivá's The Way, because one of the persons who dropped a question in had asked a question about that. Um, and he was like citing his favorite adages, um, <laughs> one of which was, you proud for what? <laughs> Uh, which, which is absolutely incredible. Like, what a savage. Oh, my gosh. Keep that bad man away. Um, but, but like, the flip side of you proud for what is you blessed, you know, for God. And I think that that's, that's something that we can, you know, take hold of and mature in over the course of our life. The fact that God does love us, not for anything that we've done, not for our antecedent merits, to use cool theological jargon, but because it's just what he does, right? God saw not anything. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to describe this in a way that makes sense. When truth be told, I'm describing a metaphysical nonsense, but God, God didn't see anything there. And then he, he, he made love there. And then there you were, you know, so there was nothing previous to his choice to love you. It's just, he loves you because he loves you. And, and I think that we can cultivate the fear of the Lord in response to that revelation and that grace, namely that God continues to prove himself generous. And so we seek to cultivate a generosity in response. All right, boom, there you have it. This is God's planning in case you had either not listened to the last 29 minutes and 30 seconds or forgotten, which happens to me sometimes, or whatever other reason, marketing. Um, so please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description or the show notes in that same description and or show notes. You will find links for merchandise and for upcoming Godsplaining events. So applications to our first all-comers retreat in the middle of June are closing this week. Applications for our men's retreat in the middle of August are now open. And then applications for our young adults retreat in uh, November will open, I think, yeah, like in a month and a half. So hop on in or stay tuned depending on your circumstances. Uh, boom. All right. No of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And we'll look forward to checking with you, checking with you, chatting with you next time on God's Planning.